women are powerful and have accomplished great things. Yet, sometimes we suffer from self-doubt, fear, and limiting beliefs. We often believe that we are not good enough. These negative beliefs stop us from achieving our goals. Welcome to Sprinting to Success, a podcast dedicated to women who have experienced struggles, yet found ways to step into their power, their greatness, and learn to embrace challenges. These women will share their stories and give you insights to help you on your path so you can follow your dreams. And now, here's your host, Esme Lawrence. My name is Esme Lawrence. My guest today is an intuitive life soul coach. Welcome, Donna Fairhurst. Donna, welcome. Thank you, Esme. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. So tell me about some of the struggles you had as a child. Oh, my goodness. Well, the first ones I really didn't know too much about because I, they, were, they were me. I was born legally blind. I couldn't see the big E on the chart, but my parents didn't discover it until I was 12 because um, I became what we call now a whole brain learner. All of my other senses compensated, and as a as an infant and a, a young child, I didn't know any different. I didn't. I thought everybody saw the way I saw, heard the way I heard, yeah. felt the way I felt, and I became very conscious at a very very young age. I can't remember a time of not feeling and hearing spirit and voices and and what we would now call you know other dimensions. Um, I always saw color far away. If I was three feet away from you, you just looked like a Christmas tree to me. Wow. You were a shape of lights and colors and they shifted. The colors shifted with your emotions. The colors shifted with your words. So I learned to read people by their colors, oh. by what their colors told me. So, you know, their words or the tone of their voice would change their colors. So if I saw somebody that was green in the morning and then they were more yellow in the afternoon, <laughs> you know, I knew something happened at work with dad or something was going on. But I, I never defined it as that. I only knew that later when I became educated. When I went to school, my whole life changed. Right. But in between, I also contracted polio in the epidemic of 1952 in Alberta. Oh, wow. And, you know, I was not paralyzed. I was very fortunate. But after seven spinal taps and six months in hospital, at the same time, my mother was dealing with a premature newborn baby on a remote ranch in southern Alberta. Yeah. It was pretty uh, hard. They actually shipped me to my grandmother to be closer to a hospital in Lethbridge. And um, I spent the better part of two to three with my grandmother, or one to, one to two, and a little bit of three with my grandmother in Lethbridge, and coming to visit, but not actually living on the ranch with my parents. So, you know, they were elderly people, they were very busy people, and I kind of sat on a window box and observed the world from a window box. Right. And um, my world was so close to me, because I was blind and I didn't have a lot of movement, it affected my muscles, so I could stand for a little while, but then I would just collapse. I could speak and then my mouth would get tired. My, your face is a muscle. It's got many muscles in it than your tongue. Yes. So even today when I get tired, my husband calls it the curtain drops. I just kind of go and 
I'll sound like I'm drunk, like I'm slurring my words or I'm having a stroke because I just, the muscles just get tired. Yes. And then, you know, um, as I went to school, I learned that speaking to spirit and talking with other dimensions and, and knowing what people's colors meant was strange. And back in my day, I'm, I'm soon to be 69, that was considered woo-woo and a little witchy. And, you know, people really weren't in Southern Alberta in cowboy country into meditation and talking to angels and fairies and stuff Right. Like so, so was it the same thing in high school? Uh, no, I buried it so deep. Um, I remember the, the first time I can remember this isn't good for me is the very, one and only spanking I ever got from my father. We had moved into Calgary from the ranch. My dad was working a regular job. And um, my brother was a, what my dad called a runner, right? He would run everywhere. <laughs> and my, we had a well that we shared between two houses. My dad set me down with my brother. I was four. My brother was two just two and a half and said, watch him. Don't let him move. I'll have my back to you, but don't move off the step. And as I was sitting there with my brother, my gaze kind of went around. I saw my father disappear into a blur of light and this beautiful little being just appeared in this rose bush beside me as clear as I'm talking to you. And she was just chatting with me, but they chat with, with their soul. They don't chat with words, right? You just feel what they're telling you. And so I was watching her and I wasn't paying attention to my brother and he took off for the road. My dad caught him out of the corner of his eye, grabbed him, brought him back, picked me up, said, what were you doing? What were you thinking? And I said, oh dad, there was this beautiful little girl in the tree and she was talking to me. And he looked at me and you know he was used to hearing my stories about little people and stuff like that. And he, would, he just picked me up and he gave me one whack on my backside and he said, that's for letting your brother go to the road. And then he gave me another whack and said, and that's for lying about these little people. I don't want to hear anything more about yeah. little people. Wow. And so shut it down, shut it out, because I adored my father. And if he said it was wrong, it was wrong. Oh, well, definitely. I mean, as a, as a child, you're talking this way, and an adult thinking, you think, obviously, do they think you're crazy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, and, for sure. And, you know, because I didn't see the way other people saw, but I yeah. didn't know it, um, I developed all of these, like, kind of secret coping mechanisms. Like, I would read everything. I could read when I was three. I learned to read at three, and I was self-taught. Nobody can remember how I learned to read. I just did. But it was with blocks and feeling them and remembering. And then my mom reading stories to me, and I would see the big letters because she would be holding it close when we were cuddling up, and I could see it. So I learned that way. But when I went to school, I would sit real close to people when they were talking to me. And, you know, people would think I was so intense because I'd be right there in their face yeah. to see them. But then I could see them with my back turned because I could feel them. I could feel their energy. So I would know things or feel things before they happened. And that would disconcert people, especially adults, right? Now in school, now, did they find out that you were, that you couldn't see? When I moved to Calgary, um, it was Bowness. I lived in the little town of, Bo you know, there's Bowness, Parkdale, Montgomery, and then yes. the inner city. Well, I lived in Bowness, which was a town, you know, 10 miles out. And then when the city um, seconded Bowness and it became part of the city, they sent in all of their public health team, the doctors, the nurses, the dentists, the eye doctors, to check all the kids in elementary school. And my mother is a nurse and a teacher, and she was working at a 
doctor's clinic as their head clinician. And um, they sent my mom a note and they said, you know, you need to get Donna's eyes tested. She needs to go to an ophthalmologist, not just an optometrist. We think she's severely sight disabled. And because, of course, I couldn't see the big E on the chart, let alone any of the little legs. Right, yes. So my mom was horrified and she took me in. And sure enough, they said, well, literally, she should have a cane. She can't see three feet in front of her. My mother said, that's not possible. She reads, she plays baseball, she's in sports. It's not possible that she can't see. And they said, she can't see. So that was very early days and they didn't have a surgery at the time to correct it. So I was one of the very first children to get hard contact lenses that they actually fit into my eye. And I went through several incarnations of that. Right. Um, and then when I got my first pair of glasses, because I still didn't see well with these things, the glasses were like Coke bottle thick. And I looked like this giant owl walking around. <laughs> <these big eyes. laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, but um, by that time, I kind of shut everything down. I did have a series of dreams. And when my grandfather died, he came to me. And that was my first real experience with talking to a ghost, what we would call a ghost. I call it just a spirit or just family. So he came when he died and he woke me up and literally he was sitting on my bed and he was as real to me as you are. You know? wow. And he sat with me and he said, hi, I'm dead. You know, we had our little talk and he said, I'm dead. And I said, but, but, but you're here. And he said, no, this is just a picture of me that you're seeing. It looks like me. It feels like me. Mm. It smells like me, but it's just what you remember, what you know about me. You know, if I was in the other room, you would still see me like that. Well, this is like this. You're seeing me like that, but I'm in another room. I'm in another place. This is my spirit. My body is still back in Saskatchewan where I died. Wow. So he explained it all to me. And um, I was about nine years old, going on 10 at the time. And he said, I came to tell you this because I want you to tell your father. Your aunt is going to call your father and she's going to give him all the details. But your father is going to already know the details because I'm telling them to you now. And when I leave, you're going to go tell mom and dad. And then auntie will call and dad will already know it. And then he will have to believe you. So he told me how he died, where he died. He was wearing the clothes he died in. He told me how the housekeeper came into the house and found him. My grandfather was 93 and still, you know, running a farm and milking cows and doing chores, but living alone. Right. So um, he left and I went, you know, crying into my parents, sobbing my heart out that grandpa was, papa was dead. And, you know, this is what happened. And my dad said, oh, you've had a terrible nightmare. And he's gathering me up and he's taking me and putting me back in bed. But I've woken up my baby sister now and she's crying and my brothers come in and it's a real kerfuffle. And I said, no, no, dad, he came to me. He sat right where you're sitting on the bed. He told me, this is how he died. The housekeeper came, the ambulance came. And I had a cousin that worked at Saskatoon General Hospital, and she was actually receiving when he came in. So she called her mother, and it was her mother, my brother, my father's sister, that called. So my father was, I literally remember this. My dad was sitting on one of those little 1960s little bench chairs with the telephone table. Right. You know, and he was sitting on the edge of it, and the phone rang, and I'm at the end of the hall with my mom's arms around me, and we're all kind of gathered at one end of the hall. My dad goes and answers the phone at the other end, and my dad said, 
yeah, when did he die? And then he started asking, he said, well, who found him? And dad's kind of sort of starting to slip off the end of the chair. And then he said, what was he wearing when he came in? And they said, why are you asking these questions? He said, I just need to know. What was he wearing when they brought him in? And they said, well, he was wearing this and this and his favorite old plaid jacket. And my dad just literally went off the chair and hit the floor, wow. sitting with his legs straight out in front of him. And he says, oh, my God. So after they talked and everything and mom got my brother and sister settled back in bed, my parents came in and sat with me. And my father said, sissy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We've really been made a mistake about this. I said, I don't know, understand this. I, I don't know how to explain it, but I know that it's real and we're sorry. Wow. At least he said he's, he's sorry when he yeah. that um, you're, what you're saying is, is true. Yeah, he really, he really validated that, but he didn't like to talk about it. And it, it scared them. Yeah. You know? They were not used to this. And in fact, when I started having more kind of intuitions about things, my mother thought that I perhaps was bipolar or schizophrenic. So she took me to a child psychologist to have me evaluated. And he said, well, she's smart. She's super intelligent. She's got extra sensory perception on every level of her, her being and an incredible sense of hearing. But, you know, she, I, I can't say that she has any, anything wrong with her, except that she's super intelligent right. and sensory overloaded. Right. How he put it. Aware. So, so Donna, so what are some of the other challenges that you had as an adult now? Oh my goodness. Well, I lost two children, uh, two, two children before my first one. I was divorced twice. How did you lose um, your, two, your two children? Well, I, I got pregnant and lost them. Oh, the first one I, I got, I had septicema and the second one, there was another condition, so I couldn't keep them. Yeah. Oh, sorry and, about um, that. Yeah. So it was, it was, you know, um, sad, but it, I got over it. And then I had another beautiful son and then I moved overseas. I lived in Southeast Asia for 12 and a half years. And that's where I really started to become aware of spirituality and that. There so why did you go to Southeast Asia? My ex-husband was, um, a power engineer for mobile oil. Okay. And, uh, we went over there and I, I was teaching there. I taught, I coached the swimming program and taught the swimming program for two international schools for all the grades. So I, I taught and I was very involved in community and theater and served on the boards of directors in all the schools that I was in. Right. So it was fun. Oh, so, I loved it. So that's why you traveled. Okay. And so yeah. you said you divorced twice. I divorced twice. Yes. So what happened the first time? Ah, uh, the first time I married a childhood friend, a boy my parents had known my whole life that I knew. He was four years, five years older than me. And uh, nearly, actually, he was nearly six years older than me when I think about it. Um, and I knew him just as this really fun, great older boy. And he told me when I was nine years old that we were going to be married someday, that it was, that it was in the cards, he said. <laughs> in the cards. And he, he, was, he was from uh, a Russian-Polish background, and his mother was very spiritual. And um, they would say things like in the cards or things like that. So I think maybe secretly she did tarot or something. I don't know. <laughs> But um, they would speak that way, and I always loved it. But knowing him as a childhood friend and then marrying him after, you know, he was away at school and then away working, and I was still in junior high and high school. And when I was 16, he came back and said, okay, now you're dating me, and then we're getting married when you're 18. 
And wow. I just, I just did it. I, it because it felt like what I was born to do. I can't explain it any other way. But once I was married, I found out that he was not the man, certainly not the boy, and certainly not the man that I thought he would be. And it was an abusive, a very, very verbally and physically abusive relationship. And I was young and smart and I left. So how did you get the strength to leave? Something in me told me that if I didn't leave, I would die. Wow. Like a voice literally said, leave or die. And so I left and it was brutal. I mean, it was the middle of winter. I had nothing except the clothes on my back. Um, I went to his mother's, he came looking for me. I went to his sister's. My parents were no longer living in the province. Um, I, I hid in her attic for Christmas while they were all downstairs having Christmas because you know they couldn't be seen to have me there. It would have caused a huge problem with him. Yeah. And then wow. eventually, you know, we just, uh, he stopped harassing me and and left me alone and so then i i i missed the companionship of having somebody because my parents and family were gone and um i was dating a little bit but i i met a, a young guy and he was the exact opposite of of my first husband he was studious he was quiet um equally as handsome i didn't fall for homely boys <laughs> and um but very very different and i thought okay this is a quiet educated you know get her done kind of guy i'm going to be safe here and i don't have to look anymore and we got married and we had children um and it it just grew and we went overseas and then we both grew but we grew in opposite directions we we couldn't relate to each other anymore he had golden handcuffs i wanted to explore more of life and the reality of the cultures of overseas and he really wasn't interested in that and right and uh we 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 parted ways i came back to canada we got divorced under very very painful circumstances um it was a betrayal of friendship on every level and wow. it destroyed me that took me to the bottom i wanted i wanted to to die i thought of killing myself i thought of suicide and the only thing that kept me from not doing it i couldn't figure out how my kids would get my insurance if it was a suicide because back then if you were a suicide your your insurance was null and void right you, you couldn't get insurance um, and your children would certainly never get anything. And I had no faith in the circumstances that my husband was in at the time that the children would be looked after. And my children were older. My, my son was a young adult, but my daughter was still in high school. And it was just, okay, I'd launched a business. Um, and I, I had launched the business under false assumptions. Uh, there was all kinds of intrigue and ugliness involved in that. I was kind of duped into buying this business and I trusted my husband and the people, but really it was setting me up for the fall. And when the fall came, I fell hard. And I remember sitting on the stairs in my little house out in the country thinking, I don't have the courage to hang myself. I couldn't stand that image. If I take pills, they'll know I took pills. So I thought, I'll go out to the Old Man River Dam and I'll just go swimming because everybody knew I would go out to the dam and I would swim for miles because I was a swimmer. Right. Like you're a sprinter. I was a swimmer. So awesome. I was my son is a swimmer, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll just swim and it's 
pretty cold outside, but people would know I would swim in this water anyway. And they'll just think I got cold and tired and didn't make it. So I was on my way to do that. My daughter was safely out at the coast with my mother and sister. My son had gone to college in the States. And I thought, this is it. I can just disappear under the water and it'll all be over. I won't have to think it again. And I started driving out to the lake and I sat on the lake and my heart was just so full. And I can't even explain this. Um, I called a friend and I said, come, come and see me, come and see me. And she came, she drove out, she sat there and she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I was going to, I was going to drown. And she said, oh my God, did you really think your kids would believe that? That you would drown? You save people. So, and, and that was relatively true because I was true because I had just got a, the Lieutenant Governor, Alberta Lieutenant Governor's Award for Heroism. Wow. Saving two people in a lake. Yeah. So you save two people in a lake and then you're thinking of um, committing suicide by drowning. Yeah. They're not going to believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't say I was smart. (laughs) (laughs) If I'd been thinking in my own right mind, I would have been thinking it at all. (laughs) It's funny. It's, I mean, it's a very serious topic, but yeah, we can laugh at the fact that you didn't commit suicide because you're here, Donna. You're here. Yeah. Thank God for that. And, you know, then I threw myself into my business. I threw myself into my town, but I didn't go looking for woo-woo. And then I got outed by another psychic who somebody took, asked me to go with them to see this woman. And the minute I walked in, she said, you know everything I'm going to say. You know exactly what's happening here. You know who's standing here right beside me. And I was shaken to my core because nobody had ever told me that they could see what I could see. Wow. And, you know, hear what I hear. And it, it, was, it was a kind of a pivotal moment for me. But again, I was a businesswoman. I was respected in the town. I was on the business development committee for the Chamber of Commerce. I couldn't go hang a shingle out and say, I'm your travel agency owner and manager. And I am also a psychic medium. Let me talk to your grandma who died six years ago. Yes, definitely. So it was, it was kind of a, I, I live, I lit double I, life. Uh, yeah. A double <laughs> life. You know, I was uh, Superman without the cape. Right. And, exactly. And not, the, and not the muscles. Right. So when did you find the strength to say, this is who I am and uh, you know, world accepted or don't. Um, I think it was, I had, I had two really miraculous, what I call angelic, saves where i was literally my car was physically moved and witnessed being moved in a way that nobody that witnessed it let alone myself in the car could understand i was saved twice from from certain death um i had had three near-death experiences in my life where i had died and crossed over and come back but these were i'm not dying i'm alive i'm behind the wheel of my car and I'm about to die in an accident, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And literally, in one case, my car was literally picked up and moved over two lanes in the highway. On another, I was coming down a a really icy underpass coming off of a lane on Highway 2 going south at Fort McLeod, where where you go down to go to Waterton. I was doing that underpass to go to the Crow's Nest Pass. And there was a big double semi in front of me and he jackknifed halfway down the underpass and it was so icy. He started sliding toward me and we had 
probably seven feet of snow in this great big huge overhanging ditch and I was heading this was coming straight at me there was no place for me to go except there or into the concrete wall or sail out into oblivion and literally my car started it hit me and my car started sailing off the highway and I'm thinking here I go and I'm waiting you know for angel something to happen here where are the guardians that come in right. and but I know I'm alive I can feel everything and suddenly there was it was it was silent you know like when you're in an electric car and you can't hear anything it was silence. silent my car was just sailing and literally it sailed out over the medium and it very gently did a 360 came back and ended up being sat down on the highway directly beside the cab of the semi driver he had gotten out he had run to the road my car literally went around him and he followed it like this turning in a circle wow. and i sat down and he came over and he said i know what i just saw i don't know how i saw what i saw i don't know how it happened but there is no way in the world you can explain how your car made a 360 degree circle and came back and landed in the right direction on the road Wow. Well, you know, it wasn't meant for to, for you to die that day. Not my time. It wasn't your time. Wow. I'm Don, I just you're just incredible. So then what is you said down? Um, what is um 3 NDE? What is that? That's a near death experience. That's when you actually die and you cross over and you go into the other dimensions and you're received there and on the table where you are both the first time I died is when I had polio I, I died I went into heart failure with a high fever that you have and um, I'd had three spinal taps in 48 hours while they were trying to figure out what was going on with me and um, I couldn't take it and, and I, I died I don't remember anything about this but my parents told me that literally I was gone for nine minutes and then I was back Wow. And they had, they had stopped, they had paddled me, they had done everything that they could do. And I was just lying on the table and they were literally were about to put the sheet over my head. But my mom said, no, I want to hold her. And they picked me up and they put me in my mother's arms. And when they put me in my mother's arms, I started breathing again. Thank I don't goodness. remember anything about that. Right. But my father said that I talked about, I called them the bright people. I didn't have, understand that until my second near-death experience and I died in surgery. I was having an emergency uh, surgery. I'd been medevaced from Medan, North Sumatra, Indonesia to Singapore. My children were left behind with friends. My husband was in another part of the country, didn't even know I was ill. And I was emergency rushed out and they took me straight to the hospital. They did emergency surgery and I died on the table. And I remember um, in Singapore, everybody can speak English, but most people speak one dialect of or another of Chinese and or Mandarin and or Malay. And I speak pretty good Indonesian and pretty good Malay, but I'm not other than Happy New Year and a few pleasantries. I, I don't speak Chinese, let alone Mandarin. So I was aware suddenly that I was in the room, but out of the room. And I could hear my doctor, and I, I loved my doctor. He, he'd been my doctor for a long time. Back up. The surgeon that was doing the surgery was not my doctor, but my doctor was in the hospital in Singapore along with his nurse, who would be what we call a nurse practitioner now. And they came rushing in, gowned and came rushing in when they heard that it was me that had been rushed in. 
to the hospital. And I remember his, his nurse practitioner, Lily, grabbing my hand and she was holding my hand and she's saying, come back, come back, come back. But she was saying it in Mandarin and I understood her. Wow. I'm thinking, well, that's strange. I must have heard it from the kids somehow. And then I um, suddenly had this sense of being above everybody, kind of like in the air above them. And I'm looking like floating, down. like floating. It wasn't, it wasn't floating. I was just, I felt like I was the whole top of the room. I felt wow. like I was bigger than the room. Like I was leaning down, holding the room is wow. what I felt like. And they were all doing all the rushing around thing and the, everybody was talking and, and they were talking Mandarin. Hardly any of them were speaking English, but I understood every word they were saying. And I thought, oh my God, I don't speak Chinese. I don't understand Mandarin. I must be dead. And the minute I thought I must be dead, I was out of there. And when I was out of there, I was suddenly in this great field of light and the light got very pointed. It was a big field and then it got smaller and smaller. And it kind of went to a point in front of me. And I went with the point, like I was, I was like a pointer going in a certain direction. And then suddenly I saw all these other lights far away coming towards me. But it was just like I saw lights when I was little. And it was all these lights on all these lights. And one light detached itself and came fast towards me and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and I realized it was my father and I didn't know how it was my father but I knew that this was his light yeah and then when he got close he expressed himself or showed himself to be my father but I knew he was just light and I knew that I was just light and I had this incredible feeling of oh gosh so much so much love just nothing but love every fiber of my light being radiated with this love and i was giving it and i was receiving it and it's like nothing that you can ever ever imagine it was wow. so wow what an experience oh gosh and then i i suddenly and, and then i got mad and i said i can't stay here i can't be here i can't leave my babies i can't leave my children they're just they're just little their, their father isn't even there. I, this is a mistake. I, I'm not supposed to be here. And then I saw these really big, big lights come from behind the smaller lights. And they were huge. They were like towers of light, like beams of light going straight up in the air like we see laser lights now. And I call them the guardians because they didn't take shape. They didn't take form that was recognizable to me. They were just this huge powering lights and each one of them represented a different aspect of beingness what we would call being but they were like different aspects of soulness right and so wow. there and they represented 12 dimensions of soulness and that's when i was told there were 12 dimensions three dimensions that we were familiar with on earth three dimensions connected to the solar system and then three years three dimensions beyond that and that as we progressed we would progress through each of these dimensions like much like we go through you know kindergarten primary middle school high school university well you do the same thing over there but you do yeah. it from a sense of of lightness so what happened the third time then that you, you died Ah, the third time, surgery again. I don't handle anesthetic well. Oh. <laughs> um, 
and I, I died and I uh, went again to the other side. And this, this time, uh, and in between those, there, there were 10 years between each of these experiences. So I had a long time to think about what I was told about the first one, what I learned in the second one. The second one, I learned that all there is is love. That is all there is, all there is on is the love. other side. There is no judgment. There's no judgment. Judgment is a construction of mankind. It is not something that happens in other dimensions. Right. So I learned that. I went over the second time. I showed up. And this time I wanted to stay. And this time they said, no, no, you can't stay. You're not done. You have to teach. And I said, teach what? You know, they said, you're going to teach this. And I just, I just remember kind of laughing with this laugh light. I don't know how you could describe it. It's laugh light. And uh, I said, I really want to stay. And I said, no, no, you really need to go back. But we want to tell you this. And they gave me the, the principle of infinite unity, told me the what we would call quantum physics now, the, the, the actual quantum physics of love and light and coherence and cohesion and the difference between chaos and coherence and how we create. And we create with our word. We are an energetic signature, an individual fantastic thread in all that is. And we are necessary, needed, and wanted by creator creation to be an extreme part of that whole. If our thread is pulled out, the blanket of the universe is not the same. Wow. So it was, it was powerful. Oh, it was powerful. Oh, my gosh. I could listen to your story. <laughs> your story is a whole night. <laughs> so, Donna, what would you like to share with our audience today? I would like to share with you the power of your word. What you say is what you create. Your thoughts become words. Your words become actions. Your actions create the reality you choose. But the choice comes from how you express that. When you express anything that is negative, please, please, if you learn nothing else from me, express it as a feeling and not as an actuality. You can say, I feel angry, I feel sad, I feel mad, I feel bad, I feel anything that's negative. Feel it, own it, express it, get rid of it. Don't keep it in you. That's the worst thing you can do. Right. But when you want to express everything that's positive about you, declare it. I am happy. I am. I is the, the antenna. It is the intention that you have. It's, and the M is the radio signal that you're sending out, that you're declaring to God, creator, the universe, whatever you want to call it, you are. When you declare that, you're just like a battery. It's like Morse code to God. 1-800-GOD. Right. I am happy. Oh my God, she's happy today. Let's send her everything else that can make her happier. Exactly. And that's the way it happens. Donna, I agree it. with you so much because uh, when I remember when I said to, I want to become a podcaster, then I said, no, there's no way I can become a podcaster. And I said, why not? And so, of course, you know, I didn't really have a lot of faith in myself. And so what I did was I would put the I am statement. 
I said, I am, an, I am a podcaster. I am an author. I am beautiful. I am smart. Those things that I didn't believe about myself, I put it mm -hmm. as, in a sticky on my mirror. And every morning I saw it and I would say, I am, and repeat all these words. And, you know, after a while, I didn't need the stickies anymore because I started believing it. And, and here I am, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> and you're my hero. You, oh. you're, you're doing one of the things that I, I mean, it's not enough that you're a beautiful, educated, fantastic teacher. It's not enough that you're an Olympic hero. It's not enough that you're all those things. But my God, what you do with this energy, this is, it's so much bigger than you know it to be because this is the vibration our breath, our word yes. is how we create reality. Yes. Yes. And, and it's amazing. You're my hero. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for saying that. You're pretty awesome yourself, Donna. I mean, you have stories. You have to come back one of these days and tell us more stories. Oh, I would you, love to. You're a storyteller. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success podcast. You can learn more about Donna on EsmeLawrence.com. Thank you and have an amazing day. Thank you so much, Esme. I love Sprinting to Success and I subscribe to it. I can't wait to listen to this and the next one and the next one after that. My name is Donna Fairhurst. I'm the Chief Evolving Officer of Soulful Solutions. I'm a life and soul coach and I'm sprinting to success as I teach I am to you. Thank you, Esme. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success with your host, Esme Lawrence. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes. For more information about Esme and to hear other episodes of the show, go to EsmeLawrence.com. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional or medical treatment or advice. Always seek advice from your healthcare provider.